0: right, I hope you're uh, looking forward to this new series, uh, Jesus and My Marriage, and I hope it's going to be helpful if you're married, and even if you're single, I mean, uh, you know, there's like even a section of the message today uh, directed towards singles, and of course, I understand some people, maybe you're not looking, maybe you feel called to be single or whatever, but um, if you're single and want to be married at some point, this series is for you too. I'm going to show you a little video clip in just a second, but i want I want to say this before I start the the message today, a uh, little word of testimony, but just so you'll know, uh, my small group prayed for me last Sunday night, and my rash is better. <laughs> um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's your penalty for missing church last week, you should uh, watch the uh, I mean, basically what I mean, all of our pastors preached last week, and in, in his section, my dear, dear, dear friend, Rusty Arwood, uh, was making a joke and an analogy and, and said I had a rash, and um, it, it's not true, and <laughs> just, just, let me just say, I think I need to say this pastorally, that if, if you believed Rusty, you should do two things. You should pray for the spiritual gift of discernment, because you are kind of lacking in that, and, and you should get to know him better. Okay, you never take him seriously unless he's crying over a Hallmark movie. (laughs) And that is really serious business, at least to him. I mean, yeah, well, there's people, and a couple of them are in the room, who work with, for, or one person here who works for Rusty and Shane. Like, it has to, so, yeah. (laughs) Pray for a leaf of lions. I mean, I, I mean seriously. Oh, sorry, not lions. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So here's a serious question for you. Just starting a little light, but here's here, here's a serious question for you. How many of you have ever tried to work a Rubik's cube in your life? Show of hands. Anybody who doesn't know what a Rubik's cube is, you don't raise your hand. You just Just saying you're really young, I guess. So I was surprised. uh, Either uh, we got some really smart people, some good cheaters or some good liars in the first service, but there were several people in the first service who said they could work a Rubik's Cube. Anybody here who's ever completed a Rubik's Cube? Interesting. Everybody who has their hand up is under 30, I think. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. So I I just have to tell you that uh, when I was in middle school, I wasted a chunk of my life trying to learn how to work a Rubik's Cube and uh, never got more than about, I don't remember exactly, three sides, maybe four, maybe two, I don't know, somewhere around three. I mean, when I was in middle school, my life outside of school was like, sports, trying to learn how to work a Rubik's Cube, miss Pac-Man, sports. (laughs) That was kind of life. Um, But obviously... You know, I never discovered the secret, read the instructions, something, found the cheat code, found the formula, you know, to work a Rubik's Cube. We have some people who did. There's some people who can work them really fast. Like I know a guy in Honduras who does like competitive Rubik's Cube competitions. And, and here's a little like 20 second video clip of a competitive Rubik's Cube uh, competition. Come, come, come on, get a sub-five. Yeah. Oh 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 4.2 seconds. I'm not sure if I want to high-five the kid or smack the kid. I mean, there's a little conflict going on inside of me this morning. Obviously, he's figured out how this works, right? You say, what does this have to do with marriage? Um some of you are wondering that. Well, um I would just say that marriage can be kind of like trying to work a Rubik's Cube while on a roller coaster blindfolded. <laughs> At least if you're a man trying to figure out a woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean if you want to join with me in getting in trouble, go for it, Charlie. <laughs> um Marriage has its challenges, right? But here's the thing that I really want to see about marriage today and in this series. Marriage has a certain design to it. There's a way to make it work. And just like, you know, there's a certain way or ways, maybe there's not just one way, but there's ways that you can go about working a Rubik's Cube. There are some ways you can go about actually making marriage work. Or, you know, you can be like me with a Rubik's Cube and just spend lots of time confused. About it all, he said. Well, how do you make marriage work? Well, we believe the Bible is God's word that it's authoritative, and according to Scripture, uh, God is the creator and designer of marriage, and so He's the one that can show us how to work, help us make it work, can fix it when it's wrong. Uh, Just like uh, you know, if the check engine light comes on in your car, you need to take it back to the dealership because they know how it's supposed to work. And can make it work. And some of you, if you're honest today, you come this morning and the check engine light is on in your marriage. And you need to go back to the dealer and get some help with it. Um, James Boyce has uh, written this. He says, in his excellent book on Christian marriage, Dr. Ed Wheat calls marriage the most valuable institution on earth. I believe that's true. Why? Because it is also the first and foundational institution, which means that all other institutions are in one way or another built upon it. Marriage is the first human institution because, as the Bible shows, it was the first relationship between human beings that God created. You ever thought about this? This is me interjecting now. Come back to the quote. But there's three really institutions or spheres that God has ordained and is working through in the world right now. There's marriage or family, there is uh, government, and there's the church. And marriage is the only one of those institutions that came about before the fall and apart from sin. See, with no fall, there's no church because church is the community of the redeemed that Jesus died for because we fell into sin. Without the fall, there's no need for human government Because the ultimate purpose of human government is to restrain evildoers and protect those who do right. So, you know, if if there weren't sinners, we don't need police officers, we don't need an army. Judge Sloan's out of a job at that point. But marriage came about before the fall as God's original institution, part of his perfect plan and design. And so Family-wise, parenting, all those other things, flow then out of marriage as well. So to pick up with this quote, he says in the first chapter of Genesis, we are shown how God created all things and how after he created them, he pronounced a blessing upon each, saying, it is good. It was only after he had created man, but before he had created woman, that God looked at his creation and found fault with it. God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Somebody should have said amen there, Charlie. Uh, As a result of this negative evaluation and and as an answer to the man's aloneness, God created the first woman and brought her to the man, thus performing the first marriage ceremony. God said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The Lord Jesus Christ said at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So, what we're going to try to do in this section of Ephesians is kind of study the owner's manual for marriage, uh, God's design, and and, and see how He uh, wants us to function to have a healthy, God-honoring marriage. But really what we're going to do today, I mean, the the section that we're going to spend several weeks on is Ephesians 5, 21-33, and we'll read that today, just to kind of read the whole thing. We're really going to start today... In, or in, in verses 15 through 21, and, and, and look at kind of what leads up to it, which we've you know, talked about back you know, before Christmas, but we're gonna apply it specifically to marriage today because everything in Scripture is there, where it is, it's there for a reason, it all fits together. And, and so it's no coincidence that there's two commands that lead into this section about marriage. And so we're gonna examine those two commands today. In a very practical uh, kind of way. And basically what i want to say today in a nutshell is this. There's, I mean there's maybe more, but there's at least two things that our marriages won't work right without. There's, there's two commands here that if we don't follow, they will consistently sabotage what we want out of our marriages. And ultimately what God wants out of our marriages. So we're going to get real practical today. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I said in the first service, this kind of came out more negative that it was in my mind this week. I don't know if that will happen again. But uh, really, I, I, I want to challenge you today. And, um, you know, if, if you've been divorced in the past, you're remarried now, we're not here to talk about the past today. We're talking, here to talk about where you are now and going forward in the future. So I want you to hear this with those ears But, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, You know, I I come from divorced parents, so i got a bias against that. Just being real. Uh, You know, as as a pastor, uh, you know, it breaks my heart to see families going through that. And so, you know, that's one of my goals as a pastor, to prevent that. But way beyond that, it's one of my goals uh, for us just to live in the fullness of what... God has for us, and there's just so many Christian couples who don't, and you know, I mean, marriage can be hard, but it can also be just heaven on earth. I mean, really, the most wonderful thing uh, in, in the world, and uh, of course, you know, it helps when you're blessed with the best wife in the world, so I have that advantage uh, going into it, but uh, and she's very patient and gracious with me. Uh, but really what we're going to talk about is um, just two things it won't work without. One's wisdom, one's being filled with the Holy Spirit. So uh, I just want you to know, okay, there are no shortcuts. Your marriage will not work without wisdom. And your marriage will not work ultimately in the way that God wants it to without The power of the Holy Spirit, because apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, the best we can do. And maybe some of you are more together than me, and you're together enough. You can do a pretty good job with this. But the best we can do apart from the Holy Spirit is what we can do naturally. And I'm just telling you, I would rather have what the Holy Spirit will give us supernaturally than what I can do naturally. And I hope you come out of this with that conviction today. So let's let's read the the text and. um, Unpack it a little bit, but this the, the majority of this message after this introduction, 95% is application. I mean that's just the reality of it. Okay, so Paul writes here Ephesians 5:15. He says, "See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly means careful. Live carefully, and." Um, not as fools, but but as wise. Uh, don't don't live foolishly, but live wisely. It, it's a consistent command uh, of, of Scripture. And and then he says, redeeming the time, buying back the time, making most the most that we can of uh, the, the time. And, and the word time here, there's two two different Greek words for time. One of us is chronos, One of them is Chronos, from which we get like chronological time, like uh, seconds, days, weeks, years, that's not the word he uses here. It's the Greek word kairos, which means opportunity or, or, or moment, you know, make the most of the opportunities that God gives you is what he's literally saying here. Of course, the way to make the most of the opportunities we're given is to make the most of the time that we're given. We're not going to take advantage of opportunities if we're not taking advantage uh, of time, He says, because the days are evil. And then he states it negatively in verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, live wisely, be careful, make the most of the time, live according to the will of God. And and I believe this is key to life. You know, we can't ultimately control how long uh, that we live, and so I think that means that the key to life is being ready for eternity, and it means living every day to the full in the will of God. That's what life's about. And if we're going to do that, we've got to do it with wisdom. Then he says, Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then that kind of bridges into the specific marriage section. And one of the things we'll talk about is like, what does it mean to submit to one another? And then what does it mean, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy And without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man. And this is God's definition of marriage. This is what we're planning on looking at next week. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So I wanted to read the whole thing, but like I said, we're going to focus on verses 15 through 21. And just look at these couple of commands. So, the first one walk in wisdom. I'm say it this way wisdom is necessary to make marriage work according to God's design. Now, you say, what is wisdom? Well, th- this is how I would define wisdom. And, you know, the Bible continually emphasizes wisdom. Uh, there, there's a whole book in the Bible about wisdom, uh, Proverbs. Uh, One of the things I do, that uh, part of my Bible reading plan that I would recommend to you is I read through the book of Proverbs almost every month. I usually read a chapter in Proverbs uh, pretty much daily. And that's something that I would recommend to you because of the importance of wisdom. But wisdom is making right choices according to God's will. It's the application of God's truth to life. It's living according to God's plan. Wisdom is action-oriented, right? It's it includes knowledge, but it's more than knowledge, right? You can be an educated fool. I mean, I mean, you ever met somebody like that? If if we're just real blunt about it, um, so you know, we can have all kinds of head knowledge, but wisdom is living the right way. Wisdom is actually living according to uh, the, the plan of God. And so this is, this is what I want to do. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, there's hundreds of areas we could talk about this or apply this in, but this is what I've decided to do. I got some input from some other people, but I've identified 10 areas that I think if we live in wisdom versus a lack of wisdom that are going to make a huge difference in our marriage, And then we're going to look at 10 areas, if you're single and wanting to be married, 10 areas that I think you ought to look at as far as applying God's wisdom uh, to life. So let's talk about marriage. So here's the first one. And and remember, what we want to do is we want to talk about results. And with, with the idea that we reap what we sow, and so when we make a choice, we're reaping the consequence. And so when we choose wisely there's going to be positive results. When we choose unwisely, we're going to receive negative results. Now, parents, don't we we tell our kids that all the time? Do you? I hope you do, right? When you you make a choice, you choose the consequence. You you taught your kids that? Let me ask you a follow-up question, though. If we're honest, how often do we think somehow we're the exception to that? I mean, if we're honest, I know we do because that's how we live, right? We think we can do, uh, we think we can take shortcuts a lot of times and, and not get the results of it. And, and, and what happens, I, th- I think, a lot of times is uh, we, we kind of, we, we think, you know, there's a lot of, th- here's the thing. You can eat half a dozen Krispy creams today. It's not going to affect your life too much you eat a couple of Krispy Kremes every day for several months, there's going to be some consequences. You skip on date night this week, not that big a deal. You keep doing it for the next several weeks, it's going to catch up to you. See, we, we get fooled by the lag time in the law of the harvest. You know, we, we think we can take a shortcut financially, we can do something in the moment, spend money we shouldn't, Probably not that big a deal. We keep doing that month after month. The law of the harvest is going to catch up to us. You know, we lose our cool one time with our spouse. We probably patch that up and everything be okay. Keep doing that day after day. Week after week. Where's that going to go? But... That's why, I mean, I said this a couple weeks ago, um, you know, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, hitting 50 and just thinking, getting close to it, thinking about life, all that kind of thing. I really think the way to live life is not so much focused on, you know, the end result of stuff. It's just in the daily choices and habits and decisions that we make, that if we want to change our lives, we change the process of how we live day in and day out. And if we want to change our marriages, we change the process of how we live and how we relate day in and and, and day out, and we use wisdom, right? God's gracious. I mean, hopefully your spouse is gracious. You can survive maybe a lack of wisdom in the short term. I promise you, you cannot in the long run. The law of the harvest is always going to catch up with you. Don't let the lag time fool you. Because we always reap what we sow. Really, we reap more than we sow, but we reap later than we sow. And so, there's always compounding interest in the choices we make. Good choices, there's a lot of compounding interest uh, over time. Bad choices, there's a lot of compounding interest over time. Uh, somebody said it, you pay now or you pay later. But when you pay later, the price is always greater. And that's true. What kind of choices are we making day in and, and day out? So, think about it. If, if day in and day out, you're, the way you treat your spouse is characterized by nagging, complaining, criticizing, demanding, where's that going to go in your marriage? Where's your marriage going to go? Versus, what if you're trying to focus on encouraging your spouse, building up your spouse, showing appreciation uh, to your spouse? Words have consequences. You know, we saw in Ephesians 4.29, the biblical standard for speech is that which builds up and that which imparts grace. Let me ask you a simple question. You did this one thing from this marriage this week. If you made it your goal this week for your, spouse, your speech with your spouse to impart grace and build up, what would your marriage look like a week from today? Would it be different? That's the point I'm making. Um... We, we can't expect to tear somebody down verbally all the time and the marriage get built up in the process. Um, you know, sometimes men, uh, we're not always real bright. You know, sometimes a man will be on his wife's case all day long and then expect her to jump in bed with him that night. I mean, that's just, my spiritual word for that, that's idiot behavior. <laughs> that is stupid. I said the filter was kind of on low today. So, I mean, it just... You can't do one thing, you can't sow, I don't know what's some terrible food, I mean, you can't sow turnips and expect to reap strawberries out of it, you know, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just doesn't work. Uh, so, think about, how about anger, harsh words, instead of listening and speaking kindly, same kind of thing. Three and four probably go together. Unforgiveness and bitterness instead of forgiveness. Or, or on the flip side of that, refusing to admit that we're wrong and apologizing. I believe with all my heart the two golden phrases in marriage are, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Listen, you can't hang on to stuff. You can't be too proud to admit you're wrong and expect to build a good relationship uh, out of that. I'll just tell you, uh, you know, what I've seen in 20-some years of of marriage counseling, that a lot of times what happens is this. Something is built up because usually if someone comes to one of our pastors or they they come to see uh, Dr. Arwood, our counselor, it's probably about six months to two years later than they should have come. We let things build up. But usually in marriage, well, it's unique. A lot of times what has happened is it's like the Berlin Wall has been built up between this couple. But really, if you start breaking it down, a lot of times it goes back to one brick. One problem, one fight, one decision, one thing somebody doesn't like. Something in, uh, that you know, came in, into the situation. And one person wouldn't apologize, and one person wouldn't forgive. Nobody would be big enough to take the first step. And so from that first brick, there's been a construction project going on in, 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 in the marriage. Just brick after brick after brick after brick. And I'm telling you, it's, for some of you, it's time to tear down the wall. For some of you, it's time to be honest about some things and, and, and ask for forgiveness for some things. Some of you, there's some bitterness that you need to let go. Is it really worth it? I mean, is is it really worth being this miserable for the rest of your life to hang on to whatever this person did? Is it really worth it? to let that lead to you guys getting divorced and all the problems and complications that come from that, and you think the other person's the problem, but the problem's going to be you're going to go into the next marriage, the same person, because you're still carrying the bitterness from the first marriage, and it's going to sabotage that marriage, and the same cycle is going to repeat itself again. There is a reason that every time people get remarried, the divorce rate gets higher and higher. Now I'm not saying, listen, some of you have been divorced and you're remarried and God has done a work and you have awesome marriages now. But I think without exception, what I have seen as a pastor when that is happening is it's because God has done a work in the person and you're different now because the same person can't develop a different relationship. And some of you who are in that situation in your second marriage would come up here and testify and say that's true. So is there something you need to let go of? I mean, is it really worth it? Is it wise just to hang on? I mean, is, is it really worth it? Here's another, I think, big one. is That's putting our kids ahead of our spouse. Now, I think the world pushes us toward that. But it's one of the biggest mistakes that you can ever make in marriage. Listen, I, w- I want you to think about something. I, I think this can be particularly challenging for women because of your maternal instincts and because of your role in in raising children. But ladies, I want you to listen to me about something. Um, Your kids need... And I mean need. This is spiritually true. There's psychological research that that verifies this, not just from a Christian perspective. Your kids need to see you have a good, loving, solid relationship with your husband. They need you to gross them out every once in a while by kissing too much and, and, and that kind of thing more than they need every little second of your time. Because if you give them every little second of your time now, You're going to regret it later when you think they're too old for you to be giving you every little second of their time, of your time. And they're just dependent on you. Did you know, biblically, you know, the Bible says that a husband and a wife are one flesh. It never even says that about a baby in its mother's womb. The primary number one human relationship in this world is a husband and a wife. That's biblical. They're not always going to be with you. What's there then? Listen, the healthiest thing you can do for your kids is to prioritize your spouse. Because if they see you guys loving each other, that's where their security comes from, number one. And number two, if you guys are together, you're going to be way better parents uh, than you would if you guys are separate. Because, you know, if you're a united front, that's a whole lot better defense against their manipulative attacks than if they can play divide and conquer with you. And you understand, I mean, I know your kids are wonderful and awesome and all that, but they, they are little manipulators. <laughs> Trust me, I mean, ours are a little bit older. Um, and ours are wonderful, but... They're not perfect. Six, how about this? How many, how many fights in your marriage have to do with money? Don't answer that out loud. So, the wise thing is to put God first in our finances. Work hard. Give generously. Save carefully. Spend wisely. And there's going to be a huge um, overflow into our marriage. Because if we're in financial trouble, it just, if we have no margin, just life, things, something breaks, then it becomes a crisis. What's that, is that good for marriage? You know, some of you, maybe a step you could take from this would be uh, to sign up for a financial coaching ministry and let financial coaches work with you on a budget and financial wisdom and, and getting some things in order. And, and, and that may be, um, you know, a solution to your marriage problems. Because, I mean, Lori's told me, usually when people come to her for marriage counseling, there's a financial component of it. And so some of you might ought to start with the financial coach before you went to her, and then maybe you wouldn't need to see her. It takes wisdom. I mean, marriage is challenging, but it's not rocket science. I mean, most of these things are pretty simple. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything today that's going to say, wow, I never thought of that before. He's so smart. None of you are going to say that about one thing I say today. But a lot of us are probably going to say, why am I not doing that? And, you know, I mean, I'll be honest with you, about half of these uh, five or six of these, probably to some level, I violated in our marriage. So I'm not standing up here saying I'm all wise and I have it all together. And, uh, you know, hopefully I've learned over almost 30 years, but I still am quite capable and quite adroit at sticking my foot in my mouth. So uh, one of my spiritual gifts, apparently. But uh, how about this one? Uh, spending time with TV, technology, whatever, instead of with our spouses. That's a huge problem in today's world. I don't have time for date night, but I got time for four hours on social media today. That's foolish. I mean, seriously, one of the wisest things that a lot of people could do would be to put up their phone, turn off their phone, limit their phone, uh, and just have some good old-fashioned conversation. Might put a little spark back in the bedroom if you tried turning off your phone a little bit more. I mean, I mean, this may be something some of you want to do. I mean, I don't know about anything about androids, but you know, on your iPhone, you can get a report of your screen time. What if you looked at your uh, screen time report? Factor out any time you're spending in, on the Uversion Bible app or something like that, or some of you, uh, like me, have to use your phones for work. Factor that out. Look at how much time you're spending on your phone on a daily basis and ask, well, might it be the wise thing if I took whatever percentage of that time and spent it with my spouse or with my kids or in some other profitable way? Listen, I know this is the thing to do today, but if we do what everybody else is doing, we're going to get what everybody else has. And do you really want what everybody else has when it comes to marriage at this point? Live with wisdom. How about thinking it's about our own happiness instead of serving our spouse? Listen, at the root of it, this is why marriage is so hard. Marriage is unnatural. Because what it takes to make marriage work is being selfless and putting another human being in front of ourselves. And there is nobody in this room that is naturally wired to be selfless and put another human being in front of him or herself. right? Why is marriage hard? Because I want what I want. Robin wants what she wants. You have to learn to somehow put that together and do what the Scripture says. And verse 21, submit to each other and love and care and and, and serve and, and, and those kind of things. Not natural. How about number nine? Denying our spouse sexually on a constant or a consistent basis. You really think that's going to lead to a good marriage? And I know sometimes you know, women think, I don't understand why he's interested in this so much, and you know there's some biology to that. I don't think women understand, wives understand, how much of an emotional thing sex is, e- is even for men. Because if a man feels rejected by his wife in that way, it is the most emasculating thing that he can ever experience because he feels like, I've committed myself to this person, I've given myself to this person, and now this person doesn't want me. And, you know, if he's a godly man, he's committed to the marriage, and he wants to do what's right, he's going to try to do what's right, but at that point you almost feel like you're just trapped in an impossible situation. Flip side, maybe pornography, bringing somebody else, in, even in the images into the marriage you really expect it to work that way or how about you know you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever with somebody some uh, member of the opposite sex of you knew in high school you're, you're talking to your coworker at lunch instead of talking to your wife about what's going on in your life it's just foolish it won't work There may be some of you that what you need to do with this message is, I mean, you may need to be honest with your spouse about some things that are maybe you're hiding, that are going on, and you may need to get some help in walking through that. And then ultimately, and I'm not saying in this that uh, there's never a reason for divorce. There are some biblical reasons. There are times when it's out of someone's control because someone chooses one of the spouses chooses to do that even when the other doesn't. But what I'm talking about here is, is, It it, it is not wisdom, it is a lie to think of divorce as a solution to your marriage problems. It's just a gateway to a whole different set of problems. That's what it is. It's a lie to think of it as an escape. Well, here's what I'd ask you to do with this. If you're married, I'd ask you prayerfully, this, this, this is your homework. Or maybe God's already showed you. To identify one area that you need to work on in living with wisdom instead of a lack of wisdom. And take the practical steps that you need to do that. Just one area. Now some of you may be, there may be like seven of these you're struggling with. You can't do seven, you can do one. And men, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take the lead because you are the leader. That's what it means when it says the husband is the head of the wife, and we'll get into unpacking that. But being the, being the leader means you go first. It, it, it means that you are man enough to... Put your wife in, in front of yourself and to love her as Christ loved the church. That you take responsibility not only for yourself but for her and for the kids. You set the tone spiritually. You do what's right. That means you repent of sin when, when sin needs to be repented of. That means you bring something up and, and deal with it when it needs to, to be dealt with. And that you uh, have the godly courage you need to set the tone and take the first steps and lead in that way. That's what it means to be a, a godly husband. You say, I don't know about all that. Talk to another man that you respect. Let somebody help you with that. So singles. and Those of you who want to be married at, at some point. Some of you may feel called that you know God wants me to be single. That's certainly a biblical uh, category. I, I need to hit these more quickly, but... Uh, you know, one would be being unequally yoked together. If you're a Christian dating a non-Christian or, uh, you know, somebody that they may say they're a Christian, but there's nothing in their life that shows they're a Christian, it, it, it's, it's like building a, a, a blueprint, or it's like trying to build a house from two separate blueprints. There's a reason God tells us not to. Premarital sex. And of course, it's a temptation. And of course, you know, the world says, you know, there's really no standards when it comes to that kind of thing. But God's wisdom is to wait. God's plan is to leave, to join, and then to consummate. And the reason is one pastor put it this way premarital sex prevents good relationships and it prolongs bad relationships. You may think you got a great relationship with somebody, but really what you got is great sex with somebody, and, and then you get married, you have no real relationship, and so the relationship starts to fall apart, and now you're married, and you're like, our sex isn't any good anymore, and it was so great before, what's going on? What's going on is you don't have a relationship. And if you don't like real talk, this may not be the series for you. I'll just go ahead and say that. But that, that's just the truth. Living together. The world's wisdom is go for a test drive. Did you know that one of the biggest predictors of, a di- of divorce is people living together before they get married? You say, why is that? It, it Doesn't it seem to make sense? Well, I mean, you need to know if you're you know, compatible in, in, in all these things. Well, I'll just say a couple things. First of all, one of the biggest myths about marriage and what it takes to make marriage work is the myth of compatibility. I mean, no man and woman is really all that compatible in a way. It's, what are we, it's how are we going to change? How are we going to love each other? How are we going to adapt to each other? What kind of choices are we going to make? That's what it takes to make it work. But beyond, beyond that, living together is a conditional commitment. Being married is an unconditional commitment. And it's really hard to transition from a conditional commitment to an unconditional commitment. That's why it doesn't work beyond just the fact that it's never a wise plan to, to go into something in a sinful way apart from God's plan. I mean, if somebody's not a Christian, I mean, I, I completely get it. But if you're a Christian and you're, I mean, you're living with someone outside of marriage, you're in complete disobedience to God. I mean, that's not a good formula for blessing. Um. Another one, making excuses for the other person and talking yourself into the relationship being a good idea. Can I just tell you something? Dating should really not be that hard or getting along when you're dating. If you're, try- if you're making excuses uh, for the other person, if you're talking yourself into this being a good relationship uh, when, when, when you're dating, I almost guarantee you within a few months after getting married, you'll be regretting it. Because it gets harder once you're actually doing life together. Don't settle for the first person to come along. Don't make decisions based on feelings instead of the truth of Scripture. Find your identity in Christ instead of a relationship status. If if you feel like you need another person to make you whole, you're not ready to be in a godly relationship. If you realize that you're whole, complete, loved, accepted in Christ you are then probably ready to be the kind of person who can give to another person, which is the key uh, to uh, you know, building a good relationship. If you have two givers in a relationship, it's going to be good. If you got two takers, that's a mess. If you got one giver and one taker, that probably ends up being manipulation. See, in marriage, we don't fix each other. In marriage, we rub off on each other. So find your identity in Christ. Don't follow culture's wisdom on relationships. And don't focus more on preparing for a wedding than preparing for a life together. You can spend hundred thousand dollars, have the most incredible TV-worthy blowout wedding of all time, but what are you going to do a month from then? That's what's important: how you live day in and day out. Not one day. I mean, I know that's special. I know it's important, ladies. I want it to be awesome for you when you get those of you who are singing when you get married. But uh, you know. The beautiful wedding pictures aren't going to compensate for a miserable life together. So, we're living in wisdom. Singles, are, is there an area here of wisdom that you need to address? Some conviction you need to have. Some decisions you need to make now. All right, here's the, the second command, second thing. And I got to hit this quickly, but uh, being filled with the Spirit. Is necessary to make marriage work according to God's design. In other words, it won't work without wisdom. It won't work without being filled with the Spirit. Because here's the deal wisdom is knowing what to do. The Holy Spirit, though, gives us the power to do what we ought to do. Like I said, the issue here is not so much usually a lack of knowledge, it's carrying out the knowledge that we have. Now, when I preached on this before, I said, here's the principle. And, and, and this is just kind of the whole second half of the book of Ephesians. We live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us in the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And so you apply this to marriage. We can be a godly husband or wife. We can live in the way that Jesus expects of us by living out of what he's done for us, the redemption that we have through the Holy Spirit who lives in us because we talked about this before and I'll expand it a step farther. Said before when we were looking at this passage is what we're filled with inwardly determines how we live, how we behave outwardly. But to even take that a step farther, what we're filled with inwardly determines how we relate to others outwardly. Listen, can I just ask us to do something? Can I ask us to ban a phrase Uh, from our vocabulary if we're married? Can can we just agree together? And this is not in my notes. I didn't say this first service, but I hope this is the Holy Spirit leading me. But uh, can we just make a decision together that we're going to ban the phrase, my spouse caused me to do something? Because if we're blaming it on whatever we're doing, saying, thinking on another person, At that point, we are removing the responsibility for our own actions from ourselves and putting it on another person when the reality is even if they're not doing the right thing at a given moment in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to do what we ought to do. And a lot of times what happens in marriage, this is this whole building the wall thing. Oh, she's doing this, so I'm going to do that. He said this, so I'm going to say that. And it becomes this silly, immature, middle school snowball that leads to nowhere. So can we just decide that um, my spouse isn't making me do things, life isn't making me do things, but the reality is, is what's on the inside is going to come out. There may be stuff on the outside that's squeezing me, but if something's coming out, it's because that's actually what is in me. And so if I want to change what's coming out of me and how I'm affecting the people that I'm around, what's inside of me is what actually needs to get changed. How does what's in, on the inside of me actually get changed? Well, it comes from me repenting of my sins, me surrendering to Christ, and letting the Holy Spirit fill me and change me from the inside out. Because when the Holy Spirit's in control, there's a song in their heart. There's an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude. And there's being supernaturally submissive to one another. That's what our text says. It's not natural, it's supernatural. That's what we need. That's what God wants for us supernatural marriages. So let me close by doing this. Let's go to just a, a different passage of scripture. We'll finish with this. Galatians chapter 5. It, it talks about walking in the spirit. And uh, let's just read this. Paul says here, and You know, this goes together. You know, being filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit on an ongoing basis. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which means fill in the blank with whatever sin we come up with. So let me just ask you a question. I mean, you don't have to answer it uh, out loud, but let me just ask you a question. That list there, is there anybody here that wants their marriage and family life to look like that list? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying if our flesh, our natural man, our sinful nature is in control, that's what's going to come out of us. And so that's what life's going to end up looking like. You see, what I'm trying to do in this series, you know, I'm not interested in being, you know, Cosmo or whatever magazines on the magazine rack as you're checking out the grocery store and telling you about 17 tips for a better marriage or whatever, you know, else. This is not an advice column. We're not, we're not trying to, you know, get to the fruit. We're trying to get to the root, and this is the root. This is where real, lasting change comes from. And so what he's saying is the inevitable result of our flesh being in control is stuff like this coming out of us. But, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the working of the Holy Spirit in us is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if I said to you, if if I could some way, somehow give you like a, 100% foolproof, money-back guarantee that I can impart that kind of marriage to you. That that's what your home was characterized by. Love, joy, peace, those kind of things. There's not anybody here, I don't think, that wouldn't take me up on that. Am I right? I mean, like if I could walk up to Dwayne and Benny Hinnom and smack him in the head, and you know, him and Gretchen, it's always uh, up on the, their house, you know, up on the hill. It's always going to be full of love and peace and, and joy. If I could do that to me and to, and to all of us, we're all going to go for that, right? You know, I can't do that, but God just told us how to have it. I'm not saying we're human. I'm not saying it's going to be that way all the time. But that the consistent direction of our lives and then our relationships can be love and joy and peace and these other things if the Holy Spirit's the one who's in control. Not natural, but supernatural. So what do we do with this? Like I said, I hope, hope that you'll, and like I said, I'm challenging the men to lead the way that you'll take a step of Wisdom this week. Some of you, you may need to give it the financial coach. You may need to talk to a small group leader, a pastor, uh, make an appointment with Lori. I mean, there may be some big things here that need to be unpacked and worked on. But for some of you, see, here's the thing. You know, if, if life really is about the process, one thing ends up affecting another thing. Sometimes small changes can make results that we can never even imagine. But even beyond that, there may be some of you, So you may know what to do, but you don't have the power to do it because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you, the step you may need to take today is to repent of your sins, surrender to Christ, trust Him, relying on His grace, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and that alone for your salvation. For a lot of us, a lot of us, and I'm sure of this, a lot of us, What you need to do with this message is choose daily to spend time with God, surrender to Christ, confess your sins, and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to control you, guide you, help you, strengthen you, change you, and you stop trying to live in the power of your own flesh and you live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? If if I could ask your spouse, what would he or she say about that? Because I guarantee you they know the answer to it. Listen, we can come to church, we can put on a church face or whatever. Uh, you know, I can stand up here on the stage. You don't really know what's going on uh, with with me, but I guarantee you, day in and day out, in the challenges of life, Robin has a really good idea of where I am spiritually, because it's going to spill over to how I treat her. The inward works its way out to the outward. It works its way out to her relationships. You walk in the Spirit. Let's let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to surrender where we need to, to take steps of wisdom where we need to, to make the choices that we need to make, to to apologize, to to forgive, to uh, just commit our marriages and our lives to you and just do the kinds of things that we need to do to make it work. And I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that about in us. I just encourage you right now. There may be some of you... Between you and God and the quietness of this moment, there's a decision or a commitment that you need to make. There's a, there's a step that you need to make up your mind that you're going to take. And this step could be the start of the process that just changes everything in your family. Trust God with it and, and take the step that you need to take. There may be somebody here today. That you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to call on the name of Jesus right now. Ask him to forgive you and save you and make you new. You got questions about that, come see me or Pastor Philip. be in the lobby or talk to somebody you know. Said there's a lot of us right now. You need to surrender to the Lord. Say, just take over. I can't do it. I'm messing it up. Confess sin and just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you And control you. I encourage you to do that. If you need to talk. You got questions or whatever. Come see me when we're finished. God help us to take this. And to put it into practice. And live lives that glorify your name. Holy Spirit help us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.